Despite having a new head coach, an outside-of-offensive line coach, Donovan Riola, an entirely new staff with Marcus Satterfield as the offensive coordinator, and Tony White as the defensive coordinator, Matt Rule and Nebraska football have returned to a familiar phase of lunacy. Losing games that you should win. Michigan State and Maryland are beatable programs. Those are beatable teams. Michigan State just got destroyed by Ohio State 38-3 to yesterday. And Maryland was on a four-game losing streak before Nebraska snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. And like Corn Craze said, so to open up his live reaction, Nebraska football dresses up in red and white because they are like Santa Claus, gifting wins to other programs. Nebraska gifted Maryland a win. And this is the most pathetic passing offense I have seen with my two eyes. And I have watched a lot of football in recent years. Deacon Hill and Iowa with their third string tight end in a wide receiver core that plays hot potato with the football had a more efficient, effective, and planned passing attack than Marcus Satterfield and Heinrich Harburg, Jeff Sims, and Chubba Purdy put together. And Matt Rule, of course, because he has a hand in play calling. So if you're a Nebraska fan, it's a new low for the season. It's disappointing. The season isn't over yet, though, because Wisconsin got aced by Northwestern, and Iowa is Iowa. But welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam. And I am heated, despite the fact that I am not a Nebraska fan, because after... I watched Penn State and Michigan. As a Michigan fan, I was extremely happy that my team won. And I remember that Nebraska was coming back from being down by Maryland at the half, and I'm thinking to myself, Nebraska won, didn't they? Or maybe the game is still on, and I checked the scoreboard, and nope, 13-10. to 10. Typically, when you hold the team to 13, you win. Nebraska, however, similarly to Iowa, can hold a team to 13 points and lose. So smash that big red subscribe button if you are angry like me and more so angry like the Nebraska fans who root for this team, for whom the Cornhuskers are their primary team. I'm angry. I'm upset. And honestly, I'm not even a fan of Nebraska in in the sense of they're not the team that I primarily root for. I do not watch them with peeled eyes every week like I do my own team, my own school, the school that I tend, the Michigan Wolverines. Nebraska, though, plagued by turnovers. Maryland themselves tried to lose this game. They gifted you, if you're the Nebraska staff, three turnovers and gobs of penalty yards to work with. Didn't matter. Nebraska, again, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Nebraska had one fumble lost by Jeff Sims, who also threw two interceptions. Heinrich Harburg threw up what was one of the most hilariously bad passes I've ever seen, and Maryland gets called for holding. That was a... Looks like Heinrich Harburg was trying to throw a Hail Mary to the opposite team. Looks like he was punting the ball, like, 
the, the angle at which the ball was thrown up and lofted. It looks like a punt was coming down, and the Maryland defensive back was simply returning the punt to get positive field position. And Chubba Purdy forcing the football into the end zone on what was really the game-sealing interception, because then Maryland ran and passed down on a tired Nebraska defense, got themselves into field goal range, and kicked the game-tying field goal to win 13-10. to Maryland had 10 penalties. 10 penalties for 92 yards. Nebraska had 82 more rushing yards and averaged for nearly an extra yard per carry on the ground. Typically, in Big Ten play, in the month of November, you win the penalty battle, you win the rushing yards battle, you win the time of possession battle, and you, even if you lose the turnover battle, if you force several turnovers from the other team, you're going to win. You are, because that's how important trench play is, that's how important being disciplined is, and Nebraska was disciplined in the sense of penalties outside for an unsportsmanlike conduct, or I'm pretty sure it was an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. But turnovers kill, and Nebraska had them at the worst possible time. Nebraska didn't capitalize off of all of Maryland's turnovers, and Maryland didn't capitalize off of all of Nebraska's, but Nebraska fumbling in their own territory, having two, not one, two red zone interceptions, it's embarrassing. It's straight up embarrassing. The calls for firing Marcus Satterfield are flying everywhere, just like the Penn State fans' calls for firing Mike Yersich, A&M fans begging for the firing of Jimbo Fisher. Both Yersich and Jimbo, by the way, are gone. Arkansas fans pining for Sam Pittman to be fired, and USC fans for what feels like years, but it's really only been a year, asking for Alex Grinch to leave. Marcus Satterfield, the difference with him is that we don't know how much control he has over this offense. He's taken over a new personnel group. It's year one. Nebraska is a busted program in every sense. When Riley took over from Clay Helton at USC, USC had a top 10 talent roster. They at least had talent. Clay Helton was better, funny enough, at winning games than Scott Frost was. It wasn't quite as broken as Nebraska. Similar for Mike Yersich at Penn State. He walked into a pretty good situation. Jimbo Fisher walked into gobs of talent at Texas A&M, got them more talented, couldn't win, and now is being paid $75 million to leave. Brian Ferentz, he got let go from Iowa's coaching out for the rest of the year, but he won't be back after this season. Iowa is a more stable program, and Iowa right now, hey, Nebraska fans, you want to be even more mad at Marcus Satterfield and Matt Rule, and really, this is year one. All of Nebraska's goals are still ahead of them. If Iowa loses to Illinois and Nebraska beats Wisconsin and then Nebraska beats Iowa, which totally possible, Iowa's margin for error is next to nothing with that offense. Nebraska can still get to Indy, as crazy as it sounds. Iowa has a better scoring offense than Nebraska. Nebraska scores 18.3 points per game. That is the 125th 
best offense scoring in America. Iowa's 123rd, scoring a half point more per game. And Iowa this year hasn't had many safeties or pick sixes. They still force turnovers, and they still kick a lot of field goals, but they don't have that same you know pick six ratio from interceptions to pick sixes that they've had in especially 2021, but even last season. And Iowa actually had somewhat of an impressive offensive performance against Rutgers, but anyway, this offense for Nebraska is horrible. For quarterback, Jeff Sims, Heinrich Harburg, they can't throw, they can't take care of the football. They're athletes. Heinrich Harburg and Jeff Sims are athletes, and Jeff Sims in this game was the better passer. The problem is he's still he's still turnover heavy. He's a problem. Same with Heinrich Harburg. They hold the team back. Chubba Purdy had 33 yards rushing, 24 yards passing, and the fact that those statistics make him the best quarterback in this matchup is gross. It's grotesque. Again, this is the most pathetic passing offense I have witnessed, and that's me watching Iowa football for the past two or three seasons with Spencer Petras, an injured Cade McNamara who was not properly developed by Brian Ferentz, and also watching Deacon Hill, who statistically is even worse than Spencer Petras. So I digress. For Maryland, they go bowling. They can beat Rutgers after watching Rutgers perform poorly in Kinnick Stadium. For Michigan, that's a trap game traveling to College Park before they have to return home to play Ohio State. So Maryland with a chance maybe to cause some chaos. Unlikely, but nothing's guaranteed. If Maryland can reach seven wins this season after that midseason collapse, that in itself is somewhat of a success and gives them some momentum entering next season where they will have an easier schedule. Talia Tagovailoa played a great game. Maryland's ground attack wasn't great, but it was average, above average. It got the job done. Maryland only held Nebraska. They held Nebraska to one sack. So Maryland's offensive line, I don't know if they changed anything necessarily, but the Terrapins had a better performance at the line of scrimmage offensively and defensively than they've had in the previous four four games, maybe three, because they performed well against Ohio State. The Buckeyes, talent-wise, eventually overwhelmed them in the late third and fourth quarter. My player of the game is Talia Tagovailoa. I think that's understandable. He made great throws and escaped pressure. He was 27 of 40 for 283 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Talia Tagovailoa is a good quarterback. On the season, so far, I think he's a top 25 quarterback. ESPN's quarterback efficiency metric thinks that he is just outside of the top 25. They rate him as the 26th best quarterback with a 72.4 quarterback efficiency rating. He has 22 passing touchdowns on the season, 8 interceptions, 2,769 passing yards. He completes 65.3% of his passes, and he has 64 rushing yards and 4 rushing touchdowns on the season. He's only been sacked 21 times, which is down in sacks from 21 and 22. I talked about in my preview video that Talia Tagovailoa was statistically regressing over the previous two seasons. In this game, he played against a defense that's top 25 in scoring and that I think overall is top 25 and 
Maybe there's an argument that they're top 20. Nebraska's problem was not on defense. When you let Talia Tagovailoa throw for 283 yards on 40 attempts, that's only 7 yards per pass attempt, by the way. And a few of those were deep shots. Jayshon Jones had a long of 43. Ty Felton had a long of 53. And there were some broken tackles. We knew that Nebraska's weakness was in the secondary compared to their you know, front front six. They run a 3-3-5. I'm used to saying front seven, but with the 3-3-5 and 4-2-5 making their way into the Big Ten, I got to remember, technically it's more so of a front six that includes Nash Huttmacher, includes Nick Henrich, Luke Reimer, etc. Nebraska only had one sack. It eight tackles for loss, seven passes deflected. I think that Nebraska's defense is far from the problem. You can be frustrated at the deep shots, the deep shots that Nebraska's corners got burned on, seemingly inevitably later in the game when it was still occurring to a decent degree, when Maryland wide receivers were able to get separation, were able to win one-on-one. But Maryland has a good wide receiver core. I think... Ohio State and Michigan are the only schools that have better wide receiver cores than Maryland. Maryland has, I'd say, a top three wide receiver core in the Big Ten. Now, that's not saying much because in the Big Ten, quarterback and wide receiver are deeply lacking in quality and quantity if you go outside of Columbus, especially, and to a lesser degree, Ann Arbor. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Igbuka are far and above anything else at any other wide receiver core in the Big Ten. And J.J. McCarthy's the best quarterback in the Big Ten, but Kyle McCord does follow closer behind him than perhaps many would want to agree. Maryland is great skill position talent. That's never been their problem. Maryland's problem is their defense, their trench play, their consistency, and their game management. Mike Loxley's not a good game manager. And yet, you gave Mike Loxley a win in a close game. How does that feel? It doesn't feel good, does it? And it doesn't make me feel good either. You should be frustrated. You should be disappointed. And you should want something better. You should also understand what Marcus Satterfield and what Matt Rule and what Tony White have to work with. That's what makes Tony White's defense and the job that he's done so impressive. Last year, this defense was horrid. They couldn't tackle. They couldn't read offenses. They looked like non-playable characters from video games. I remember watching that Georgia Southern game. Nebraska's players were, they looked like they were in a video game and they were lagging when making the tackle. Like they were trying to tackle the guy, thinking that he was in their arms. Oh wait, he's 10 yards ahead of you. It was bonkers. And Tony White's turned around the defense. This offense is worse than any offense any that Scott Frost ever produced during his time at Nebraska. And that's a mistake that is on Marcus Satterfield and on Matt Rule because they thought Jeff Sims was their guy. They didn't go with Casey Thompson, who is still with the school. And honestly, this team with Casey Thompson and an offensive line that is more physical and is superior than any Scott Frost offensive line at protecting the passer and opening up the run Casey Thompson, even though he doesn't have the same scrambling ability that Sims and Harburg do, 
he wouldn't be making these mistakes. Casey Thompson last year was good for maybe one turnover a game. Not two, not three, oh heck, not four or five either. It's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. And he would have been healthier this season and probably would have played better because he had a better offensive line. He had a more functional, consistent run game. Emmett Johnson, by the way, he's improving every game. Every game. And in spite of that, in spite of improvements at offensive line, in spite of a tight end room that has improved, there's so much that Nebraska's gotten better at compared to last season. Last year, Nebraska was 4-8. and eight. And this season, they're five and five. They could go seven and five. They could go five and seven. They could go six and six. They could win their bowl game. They could lose. They could also go to Indy. And whether you win or lose there, just get to Indy and worry about being one and oh every week rather than oh and one every week. Maryland won this game in large part because of the difference at quarterback. In fact, if Maryland and Nebraska to equal quarterback play, Nebraska wins 10 out of 10 times. Nebraska has the better trench play. They have the better players defensively. They have, in my mind, better run game overall. And I said that in the preview video, and they might have the better offensive line, and dare I say it, even with all their injuries, the better running back room. Emmett Johnson looks like a stud. He looks like Darius Taylor out there. Two young running backs who are just grinding up defenses when they get the chance. But Maryland, and some of this is not Nebraska's fault, Maryland is a much better wide receiver core. Nebraska's suffered some injuries there, and the previous staff didn't recruit as well or develop as well at wide receiver, like Maryland has under Mike Loxley for several years now. And at quarterback, this is more so on Nebraska than on prior circumstance, quarterback is awful. Nebraska, depending on how the season finishes out, could have the worst quarterback room in the Big Ten. They could. If Deacon Hill plays exactly like he did yesterday for the rest of the season, and Nebraska's quarterback room just implodes over the next two games, and Nebraska goes 5-7 and seven because of it, that could be true. And I look at this game, I look at the next two games, and I look at the Michigan State game. I even look at the Colorado game and the Minnesota game. Nebraska's had so much opportunity. They have. Right now, they're 5-5. Five and five. Three of their losses are by a combined nine points. By a combined nine points. I do not believe in curses. I think the, the phrase that this program is cursed is a phrase of effortless ineptitude. That's why that phrase is said, because you don't have to think about the why. You can just say, oh, we're, we're, we're cursed. Well, it's deeper than that. The problems run deeper than that. Your program isn't cursed. You're, you're in year one. You're rebuilding. This is why I don't think people should be... People are questioning Deion Sanders right now after lauding him as a top 20 head coach when he was 3-0. Be patient with first, second, and even third-year head coaches. The transfer portal can't fix the fact that you need to rebuild. Lincoln Riley is an anomaly. Sonny Dykes, last season, TCU returned most of their key players 
And Dykes is an offensive genius. Lincoln Riley is an offensive genius. And Joe Gillespie, with his scheme, was able to use good recruits and solid playmakers defensively to make a defense that wasn't good, but one that could be clutch. And things just mended together well. That doesn't happen everywhere. It doesn't. Nebraska has been a broken program for the better part of a decade. It's going to take longer than a year to get there. However, at the same time, as I've been tempering expectations for the past few minutes, it would be great of Nebraska to go out into the portal and search for a Talia Tagovailoa. Talia Tagovailoa is not an elite quarterback, but he's a good quarterback. And he's a quarterback that can get the job done and put you in a better position to win rather than putting you in a position to lose. Talia Tagovailoa, by the way, has another year of eligibility remaining. He can come back from Maryland next year. I believe that he has the COVID year still as an option, and I think he should come back. And that's mainly because he's 5'11", 208 pounds. He's been consistent from about 2021 to the present day. After improving from 2020 to 2021, he's been relatively consistent. And with a Maryland 2024 schedule that's relatively doable, and Maryland will be able to use the portal, return a decent amount of their production. Mike Loxley is still getting players through recruiting, and he changed up his recruiting method. I don't have evidence of that, but he went from recruiting top 25 classes that didn't produce a whole lot outside of the wide receiver core to having lower recruiting rankings, but I think more physical players, tough players, and more team players rather than individual stars. And and there's a difference. In 2024, Maryland plays UConn, Michigan State, Virginia, Villanova, Indiana, Northwestern, USC, Minnesota, Oregon, Rutgers, Iowa, Penn State. USC, Oregon, Penn State, as hard as a of a schedule that that is, that's easier than Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Oregon will lose a lot of their production. USC will lose a fair amount of their production. And these Pac-12 schools, I think, will get a rude awakening even for programs like Maryland, Rutgers, Nebraska, who have only been in the Big Ten for a little over a decade or about a decade in the case of Maryland and Rutgers, who joined at the beginning of the 2014 season. I think that Maryland having Talia Tagovailoa return, that would be huge for them. And with an easier schedule, maybe Mike Loxley can use that to pick up an extra win or two and compete for championships like he said he thought his team was ready to do this season. So for Maryland, this is a good win. You have to find a way to win if you're Maryland because going 0-4 after starting out 5-0, and that's hard. That is That's really hard to bounce back from that. Your team's demoralized. You're suffering attrition. Losing is getting in your head. Becomes a mental thing more than just someone physically outworking you and out-scheming you. Great bounce back by Mike Loxley and company. And by Talia Tagovailoa, who's my player of the game. And he was the difference maker for Maryland. And that's great. Good for him, and I hope at some point he takes another step to rise among the tier list of college football quarterbacks. With Nebraska, I want to touch on them. We talk about winners last. We save the best for last on this channel. And mainly when I talk about Nebraska, 
whether it is a win or a loss. I like to focus on them because they're an intriguing program. They're more intriguing in my mind than Maryland is. As a program, they have more resources, a higher ceiling, a better history. And Nebraska fans are the best fans in college football. They really are. I'm a Michigan fan, and I'm dealing with some insanity in my own fan base. And you can also find that with Ohio State fans, Penn State fans. You can find that with Alabama, Georgia, Texas, USC, Oregon. You can find that with any fan base. And you also see it sometimes with Nebraska's fan base. But Nebraska fans, I feel, are a nice, not even nice, I think kind is a better descriptor word, a better adjective. They're a kind fan base that just wants to win. And they're persistent. They're passionate. They don't give up. Nebraska, as a football team, has continuously delivered a failed product to them for the past several seasons. Nebraska this year is starting to sink to the bottom of the Big Ten. The injuries are taking a toll. Heinrich Harburg, like Corn Crazed said, and Corn Crazed, by the way, great analysis. He helps me cover Nebraska football just from his perspective, his information, and he's a great resource for me, for many other people. And he's also very informative, entertaining, builds a great community. So check out his channel via the pinned comment in my description. And also, if you want to support the channel and gain access to some extra content, check out my Patreon page via the link in that same pinned comment. Thank you very much. As Corn Crazed said, Nebraska, their quarterback room, and especially Heinrich Harburg, has been figured out by opposing defenses. Heinrich Harburg cannot throw the football. He can run. He's athletic. He can't throw. Again, that first potential interception that was thrown, where if you started the highlight or low light reel, if you're a Nebraska fan of that one play, if you started it from a certain point, it would have looked like Nebraska punted and Maryland's defensive back was returning the football. And it would have looked like Nebraska's wide receiver was the punt coverage man or one of the punt coverage guys. That is how bad that throw was. It was completely off target. I don't know who Heinrich Harburg was throwing that football to. He was throwing it to the defensive back. And interceptions throughout the rest of the game were an atrocity. Jeff Sims just cannot hang on to the football. He tries to do too much. He is not secure with the football. And the injuries are taking a toll. And the defense is getting worn down. Maryland, on the final three-minute drive, ran a few plays and picked up quite a few yards on some of those runs. They were able to bully Nebraska it's like Nebraska's defense didn't I'm not going to say give up because I think that's too harsh and it's inaccurate but Nebraska's defense they tried so hard and they exerted so much energy that at some point you can't play it a hundred percent when you're on the field as much as they are and when you have to pick up the pace as much as they do you can't do that Nebraska's defense is like the one super intelligent high schooler who is in a group of four 
and that group of four is assigned a project to do, and he is the only person working on the project. And if he came from a top 1% family with tons of money, maybe he could get some money from his father or mother to pay for others to help him do the project. I think that's what Iowa has in that very broken analogy. They have Phil Parker. Phil Parker's a unicorn, just like being born into the top 1% or earning your way up to the top 1%. That's rare. And it's it's a blessing. Iowa's blessed to have Phil Parker as their defensive coordinator. Very blessed. And even more so, the fact that Phil Parker has stayed with them. He's probably rejected, declined, whatever you want to call it, multiple defensive coordinator and head coaching opportunities to stay at Iowa. Or there's Alabama, who they have so much talent, so, so much talent, that even if their offense is slugging along, the defense can come up with big plays. Same with Georgia's defense in 2021 with all those NFL players. Nebraska neither has a complete wizard out of this world defensive mind in Phil Parker. Maybe Tony White is that, but it's his first year in the Big Ten, first year running this scheme. I don't want to proclaim him as a legendary DC yet, but he's great. In fact, I think Tony White is a near elite defensive coordinator, not just a great defensive coordinator. But Nebraska neither has a wizard at DC in terms of you're the GOAT defensive coordinator, and they don't have top 10 defensive talent. So they can't do exceptional outer-worldly things on the defensive side of the football. They don't have Iowa's defense. They don't have Iowa's special teams unit. They don't have Alabama's defense, and they don't have Alabama's special teams unit. Alabama, for the first year in quite some time, has a good special teams unit with Will Reichard as their kicker, and I forget the name of their punter, but he's also a good punter. It's rare for Nick Saban to have a good special teams unit, but here we are, crazy times we live in. You just can't expect the defense to carry the team through. You can't do it. Maybe if the offense was inept, but they didn't turn over the football like Iowa's offense, then we could expect a little more from the defense. Or maybe if Nebraska turned over the football as much as they do, but then when they didn't turn over the football, they scored. They were a very boomer bust offense. You either turn over the football if you're Nebraska, or you score a field goal, score a touchdown, or you get a lot of yards out of your drive, then you could maybe expect more from the defense. But no, Nebraska's offense is inept in multiple phases of the game. Not just turnovers, not just three and outs, not just the passing game. All three, they are inept in. The rushing attack is different. I I like Emmett Johnson. I think Emmett Johnson is part of the future of this program. He had 84 rushing yards and 17 carries, and he averaged 4.9 yards per carry with a long of 29. He even had an explosive run. He's a good running back. Joshua Fleeks got three carries. Anthony Grant got three carries. Janarian Bonner, he got one carry. He even had a rushing touchdown. Nebraska ran for nearly 200 yards and 4.6 yards per carry. And they had 40 carries, 21 passing attempts. And you can't run the football every play. You cannot do it. But what Nebraska wants to do, or what ideally they would want to do in this situation with how 
bad their quarterback play is, they'd ideally want to do what Michigan did against Penn State, where Michigan ran the ball for more than 80% of the time, and they didn't dominate Penn State, at least in terms of scoreboard and in terms of the fact that if one play went Penn State's way completely, like a pick six or a bomb touchdown, Penn State's immediately back in the game. But Michigan controlled Penn State for that whole game, and unless Michigan were to make a mistake, there was no doubt that they were going to win. Sort of reminded me, in in a way, like a light edition, a light Walmart edition of Georgia versus Tennessee last season, where if Tennessee was able to get one big play due to the score margin, then Tennessee was back in the game against Georgia on the road, but Georgia had to make a mistake, and they weren't going to make a mistake. Nebraska can't even do that because their offensive line isn't good enough. Their defense isn't as good as Michigan's defense. And again, talking about riches and talking about defensive minds and the fact that Nebraska is, they're building still as a program. So even though things look bad, there's still hope. Expectations have to be tempered. Chubba Purdy, I think, needs to start. I'm in agreement with Corn Crazed on this. I'm in agreement with everyone. Start him against Wisconsin. Wisconsin is, they're crap. They are indeed crap. And they're not the good kind of crap. They're on the worst end of that spectrum. And my last question is, who's calling the plays? Seriously. If it's Satterfield, he needs to be questioned in terms of his job security, and I think he's already in trouble. If it's Rule, you better hope that Satterfield's calling the plays and that Satterfield made those mistakes, like throwing the football when you needed to just run it to get the field goal, not not making downfield shots. That's something that Nebraska could have done, similarly to Michigan. They couldn't have executed that kind of offense in the same way, but Michigan rarely threw downfield. And when they did, they had J.J. McCarthy, so they knew that they could execute a downfield pass, but they only threw it nine times. Nine. And Nebraska, in the red zone, in the red zone at least, should have primarily only ran the football with maybe, you know, a motion pass or something where you're not throwing it downfield where Maryland's defenders have multiple opportunities to pick off an inaccurate pass, but something where you can quickly get your receivers, tight ends, or running backs open for a dump-off, perhaps. They didn't do that. So, if Satterfield's calling the plays, this is an easier solution. You take him out of the equation. If Rule is the primary play caller here, and he filters the decisions, so that's already problematic based off of how the offense looked, then the issue for the offensive performance is deeper. But overall, I still like the direction that this program is going in. They look more physical. They look tougher. Nebraska finally looks like a Big Ten team for the first time in really since the Bo Pelini era. And even under Bo Pelini, there were games where, despite being far superior teams to Scott Frost or this Matt Rule unit, Nebraska would just get pancaked and aced by Wisconsin or beaten by Michigan State. Or one year, Brady Hoke just took him apart. That was the 2011 season where 
Denard Robinson was one of the better players in the Big Ten. And Michigan had a functional offense and defense. That's where Brady Hoke looked good because he was able to add a defense to Rich Rodriguez's offense. For Maryland, I'm going to keep this shorter than Nebraska, but we still have to talk about the Terrapins and their victory. Maryland is going bowling, and they fought through adversity, and that's very important. Talia Tagovailoa, I think, is a good quarterback. I've already talked about this. I think he should return next season because I think Maryland can maybe search for a 9-win season, or dare I say it, a 10-win season. Who knows? We'll just have to see. But Talia Tagovailoa, I'm pretty confident, has that extra year of eligibility. And that could be very helpful, as I think that whenever he does leave, Maryland might have a sizable drop-off, because he is a talented quarterback. And I think that if he played for a better school, a better football team, under a better head coach, and under a better offensive staff, reminder that Maryland's had different offensive coordinators when Talia Tagovailoa has been there for four years. So Tagovailoa has been through several offensive coordinators, different quarterback coaches, different coaching. That doesn't always help. I think that he could have been developed into a better quarterback. So with Kevin Sumlin, I don't know if he's going to stay on the staff due to his driving under the influence thing that happened. But with if Kevin Sumlin hopefully stays on the staff, along with Josh Gaddis, maybe some of that continuity provided with an easier schedule and some better use of the portal, better recruits. Maybe that all can work together for a better season next year. I think Maryland needs one more win, whether that's against Michigan or more likely Rutgers. Getting a winning regular season out of a season that started off hot but then quickly cooled off would be big. And then going 8-5 and five again would give this program, I think, sizable momentum entering next season. Maryland ran for over 100 yards after Penn State held them to negative 50. That's a bounce back. And Roman Hemby had a carry of more than 20 yards of 21. He had 16 carries for 74 yards, averaged 4.6 yards per carry. Roman Hemby also had 15 receiving yards. Deshaun Jones with 86 receiving yards and Ty Felton with 73. Corey Deitches, he had 40 receiving yards on five receptions. Corey Deitches is a good tight end, and Ty Felton, Jayshon Jones, Caden Prather, very capable wide receiver core. Absolutely capable. For Maryland, I think that the Terps would benefit from a bigger, more physical, just superior offensive and defensive line. I think if Maryland had better trench play, that could have been the difference against Northwestern, who sacked them multiple times, who was able to stuff their run game, and against Illinois, and it would have allowed them to hold up better against Penn State and Ohio State. That's what helped Penn State pull away from Maryland and really bully them in spite of their own offensive ineptitude, was Penn State owned Maryland at the line of scrimmage, both when Penn State was on the field offensively and on the field defensively. Now, Defensively, that's expected because Penn State's defense could be the best defense in the country. I think it's certainly a top four defense. But Penn State's offense and offensive line are not top 10. I don't even think they're top 15. Penn State's offense certainly isn't top 25. I think the O-line is physical, though. If Maryland, with their skill talent, could have better trench play offensively, which would give Talia Tagovailoa a much better supporting cast, give Roman Hemby more opportunities to get big gains and have a consistent ground game. 
And if the defense could have a better pass rush and better run stoppage, that would be huge for Maryland. But overall, critical win, good win for Mike Loxley. Maryland had 234 offensive yards. They had two touchdowns. And in spite of penalties, three turnovers, and losing the ground game, Maryland had the better third down day, 6 of 13 on third down. They had 19 first downs. And despite the fact that they were 0-2 on fourth down as well, they won 13-10, and Maryland is going bowling. Thank you so much for watching this video. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you can join this awesome community and help us reach 20,000 subscribers by the end of the college football season. Thanks to Crash2488, Anthony McDowell, and Justin Rogg for being Heisman patrons. Thanks to Spencer Bringhurst, Noah DLC, and SFS Inverted for being All-American patrons. And thanks to Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, Matthew Sale, Chris Lane, Austin Christmas, and Zubin Zah for being all conference patrons. Have a great day, guys, and I will see you all around. Bye-bye.